sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk. And thanks for joining me on today's episode. We got plenty to get to. Most notably, we're going to continue on with our recap and nostalgic look at the great 2011-2012 season as we go back to the bragging rights game from that season. But first, I do want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. And before we hop in our DeLorean back to December of 2011, I do have a couple modern football notes that I'd like to get to quickly. First of all, according to a spokesperson at the Missouri Athletic Department, it does appear that Faroe Field's artificial turf is going to be replaced after this following season. And, well, I guess that begs the question, are we going to redesign the field that has been here since 2013? It's a decent question, right? I personally like I've liked the field design, the black with the new gold, the gold diamonds in the end zone. I think it's a strong look, but hey, I'm open to the possibilities. But one thing I've I've noticed the last few years is it sure seems like early games, especially 11 a.m. games, less so at 2 or 3, but man, especially these early 11 a.m. games just have a gigantic glare off that field. Now, I don't think it's anything to do with the field itself. I think it's just the way that the stadium is set up. Just for some, for whatever reason, there's always a glare at Faro Field during those 11 a.m. games. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm always at those 11 a.m. games, so it doesn't affect me all that much. It's just something I've heard people complain about, and then when, frankly, I see the highlights after the game, I, I have to agree, man, it just looks kind of weird, whereas, you know, again, it's better at 3 o'clock, but during our, our night games, I think our field looks tremendous. I think everything pops, the gold looks good, the whole deal, but I don't know. Maybe somebody knows something more about aesthetics and lighting than I do to make our field look a little bit better on national TV. I don't know. Let's figure that out. It is the high-definition era, after all. But speaking of aesthetics, football aesthetics specifically, well, I know a lot of you during the football season rather enjoyed my Friday segment, almost always with Blake Stark, where we broke down Missouri's new uniform combinations, their uniform reveal that happened each Friday, and we called that segment Project Run Play. And well, if we're to believe what the athletic says, it seems like there might not be any uniform, new uniform combinations this year. According to Peter Baugh at The Athletic, the school begins working with Nike about a year out for design for future uniforms, and it will likely begin the process for next season, this summer, or fall. The amount of player involvement in the process will be up to Eli Drinkwitz, the spokesperson said. Oh no, this is a nightmare. What am I going to do on Fridays now? It can't be just a betting segment. Ugh, Project Run Play can't be dying, right? No, in all seriousness, considering we've already got, what, four or five different helmets that we can that we wore last season, plus multiple pants, multiple jerseys, 
yeah, there there probably won't be any new helmets this year, I gather. But as far as combinations, it sure seems like there are a lot more potential combinations than Missouri could do. Almost unlimited combinations, quite honestly. So, by all means, Coach Drink, let's keep that going. Let's keep the uniform reveals going. The kids love it. I love it. My audience loves it. And most importantly, we got to keep Project Run Play going. Don't do this to me, Eli. Don't do it. And once again, speaking of sports aesthetics, as I use that transition for the second time in this opening segment, as I was watching the Missouri-Illinois bragging rights game from December 2011 this morning in my office, one thing that really stood out and shows you how times have changed in just some eight, nine years is big shorts were still very much in back in December of 11. And Marcus Denman's shorts in particular are just absolutely enormous. And frankly, I love every second of it. I'm much more, yeah, those guys are a little bit younger than me, but these kids today with their their short shorts, their, their tight shorts, showing all that hairy upper thigh, yeah, I'm just not into it. It's just a generational thing, but you know what? That's how culture, and especially fashion, sort of ebbs and flows, doesn't it? Everything comes back eventually. So I'm just going to wait it out, and by the time I'm a 55-year-old man, I'm sure big shorts will be back in again. And you know what? If you missed my previous segment about the one-state, one-spirit classic involving Missouri Southern and Mizzou following the terrible tornado in Joplin, that charity exhibition game that started off this 2011-2012 season, Well, I encourage you to check that out a few episodes back in the archives. And coming up after this, I will break down the entire bragging rights game from that season and put it in context for how basketball has changed in the last few years. But first, I do want to tell you guys all about rockauto.com. Because I'll tell you what, over at rockauto.com, that company is as good of an example of the value added by the internet in the year 2020 is anybody out there. And why is that? Well, it's because we now have instant price comparisons. Haven't we all gone to the store at some point, whether it's an auto parts store or any kind of big box retailer, pulled out our phones and comparison shop to whatever's on possibly Amazon.com, for instance? Well, if you're into auto parts... Go to rockauto.com. There's no reason to comparison shop because you absolutely know that they're going to give you the lowest prices on all the parts you could possibly imagine in that little brain of yours. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for for your vehicle. Right locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection. Reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So after scoring 114 points, absolutely cruising to victory in that exhibition game in Joplin, Missouri started its first three games of the 11-12 season, scoring over 80 points in easy victories over Southeast Missouri, Mercer, and Niagara, 
and looking really good doing so, to be quite honest. But still, as Missouri was heading to Kansas City for a two-game tournament, there were some questions. There were still questions about how would this newfangled small lineup, four-guard lineup, especially with Ricardo Ratliff not really being any kind of traditional center or rim protector, how would they hold up against better competition? Well, against the University of Notre Dame in KC, it turned out they held up quite nicely. Because against the Fighting Irish, Mizzou shot 58% from the field, 45% from three, with only eight turnovers. And just to show the type of efficiency that Missouri was running with, in front of his hometown fans, Marcus Denman had 26 points on just 11 field goal attempts. Now that's efficient, my friends. Then the next day against number 20 Cal, the Bears didn't do didn't fare any better defensively against the Tigers as they even shot slightly better the next day. Missouri shot 59% beating number 20 Cal 92 to 53. And even Steve Moore managed to make a three-pointer, much to the utter delight of that partisan Missouri crowd. You may remember that moment, but that was quite the roar when Steve Moore found himself wide open at the top of the key and just said, you know what? The heck with it. I'm letting it fly with this big left hand. Great moment there for Big Steve. And just honestly, in the in the post-game, both of these games, but especially after the Cal game, you could just tell... Denman, Frank Haith, Kim English, the seniors, everybody was quoted in this piece. You know, just the quiet confidence there was very obvious. I mean, they're just basically saying, yeah, we played well, but we still got things to work on, yada, yada, yada. Just sort of typical coach speak, typical typical kind of deal there. But if you just read between the lines there, and frankly, if you just saw how they played, you knew that all of a sudden, oh my God, this team is for real. At least offensively, this team is really, really freaking good. I mean, you knew it at this moment. And indeed, after five games against somewhat, against somewhat, oh, I don't know, podunk state style opponents, for lack of a better term, off the top of my head, Missouri also beat Villanova by 10 before coming into the Bragging Rights game that year. And as Dave Pash, who was doing the game for ESPN, said, Missouri was putting up numbers that defy belief coming into this game. And indeed, that was very true. Missouri was undefeated. They're number eight, playing number 24, Illinois. They were number one in scoring entering the game, second in field goal percentage, and first in point margin, beating their opponents by over 27 points per game so far. Now, one thing that stood out immediately is that the opening tip, Myers Leonard, who now plays in the NBA, towers over Ricardo Ratliff at the opening tip. But ironically, Leonard ends up being a jump shooter for the most part as a pro and just kind of shows part of the the transition of hoops that's underway here. I mean, he only shoots, Leonard only shoots really one long two in this game, but Clearly, he's got a pretty good stroke. It's just funny how you see Bob Knight is wanting them, who's the color announcer in this game. He's wanting them to play through Leonard in the post, but that's just something that nobody in the NBA would even come close to doing, much less Myers Leonard in the post, but hardly anybody plays through the low post at this point. 
And also, there was a lot of, you know, a bit of a jittery start from Mizzou, quite honestly. A, an unforced turnover and a missed layup by Denman early. But Missouri gets three fast break baskets early, goes on a 7 nothing run. Just tremendous patience by Flip Pressey. He's, you know, Flip, Phil Pressey was just so good at, at being patient in all situations, but especially on the fast break. He would just find his way to dribble into the middle of the court, especially with all these shooters around him. He would eventually find somebody almost every time. And really, after the first few minutes, it's just tremendous extra passing. Missouri gets a quick 19-9 to lead seven minutes into the ball game. Ricardo Ratliff picks up some, gets into some early foul trouble, doesn't play particularly well early and honestly we got some great minutes from Steve Moore with Ratliff out in this game I thought his his defense was tremendous he blocked three shots in this game but just in particular you could tell that the 20 pounds that Steve Moore had lost in the offseason had really helped his agility and just you know just his his awareness coupled with that agility made his health defense a really big asset and at times it felt like Missouri was actually playing better basketball with more in as opposed to the defensively challenged Ricardo Ratliff. But, you know, late in the game we would see what Ricardo would bring to the table, and we'll get there for sure. Phil Pressey was just so freaking good in the pick and roll as well. I mean, what a good decision maker. One thing he always did was when he would get a, a defender on his back, he would just kind of slow down and not in a Chris Paul way as to draw a foul and take a flop, basically, but just in a way that would, by, by its nature, you're going to draw a help defender when, when your man is on your back. So basically, he's just waiting for somebody to help and waiting to dish the ball. Now, quite honestly, while Bruce Weber, even to this day, is still one of the most annoying human beings on the planet to me, I do have to give him some credit because second half, Bruce starts making Phil Pressey score a little bit more. Like Clearly they're te- he's telling his guys, do not help off of Pressey. And go under the screen, too. Because as good as Flip is on the screen and roll, and he makes good decisions for the most part about when to pull up on the three if his defender goes under the screen as opposed to over the top to challenge that shot, there were definitely times, especially in the second half, where he and the rest of his teammates may have been feeling themselves a little bit too much in this game. I mean, honestly, as good as they were for the first seven, eight games of the season, I can't even blame them for getting a little cocky. But there was a moment where, you know, there's a few moments where Bob Knight was saying, hey, make three or four passes before you take a three. It's always going to be there. Again, this shows a we're back in the late 2011 here. This does show how the transition of modern-day hoops is still a bit underway, but frankly, Knight isn't totally wrong there either. Missouri was shooting the ball a little bit too quickly, and again, when it was at its best, it was when the Tigers were making the extra pass, without question. Really, the MVP of this game might have been Michael Dixon, who, as usual, didn't even start. And I want to talk a little bit about Mike and the rest of this game coming right up. So when Michael Dixon checks into this basketball game, he's immediately a problem for Illinois. He comes in, draws it, picks his, I'm sorry, beats his man off the dribble in the late shot clock action, 
and draws a foul. And this would become quite the theme as Dixon would get to the free throw line eight times in the first half, 12 times for the game. He had 18 points overall. If you wanted to criticize anything, you might, if you were just watching this game, maybe seeing Dixon for the first time ever, you might have thought he settled for the mid range jump shot a little bit too much. You know, that's a thing. Speaking of modern day basketball, the old saw now has become, hey, don't shoot mid range, don't shoot long twos. But for Dixon, that's a, tr- that's a great shot for him. The guy made 58% almost of his twos for the season. Not all those were layups. That guy was a really, really good three-point shooter. Or, I'm sorry, mid-range shooter as well as a three-point shooter. But also, he could get all the way to the basket as well. Dixon, just a tremendous scorer and a a good on-ball defender as well. A great last possession by Missouri as with no time left on the shot clock, Frank Haith substitutes all five of his guards in this last possession. Remember, Missouri only plays seven players in this game. So among those seven guys, Ricardo Ratliff and Steve Moore on the bench. Phil Pressey drives the lane, misses the layup, but Matt Pressey with a big follow-up, two-handed dunk, sends the Tigers to the half with a 41-30 lead. Now now that's some momentum right there. That was the most memorable play of the game when I rewatched this was Pressy following with with an emphatic two-handed dunk to send us to halftime. Missouri had 15 points on the fast break to none for the Illini in the first half. And I've mentioned this before, but it's interesting that Missouri was only 150th nationally, which is right about in the middle of the pack nationally in terms of, of adjusted tempo. But, you know, they may not have always ran – but when they ran, when they ran the fast break, they did it really efficiently. And most importantly, in the half court, they got into their possessions quickly. There wasn't a lot of walk. In fact, there was no walking the ball up court that I ever saw. We got into our half court sets quickly, moved the ball with purpose, cut with purpose, all that good stuff. So again, to me, that is much more important about playing quickly in terms of of efficiency than actually taking quick shots if that makes any sense now at one point here in the second half Bob Knight complains about a wide open Kim English three that misses on a baseline inbound pass he acted like Missouri needed to pass more before shooting and generally that point was fine but was Kim English really supposed to pass up a wide-open three-pointer off the baseline. I mean, he's staring at the basket. By all means, Kim, shoot that shot. But in general, Bob Knight was right, though. Missouri did get a little bit comfortable with the lead, few too many quick shots. And honestly, first half, what they did well was they were punishing Illinois at the line and at the rim, and that's what opened up those three-pointers, was attacking the middle of the court, then just patiently kicking it out to open shooters, as opposed to, okay, <clears throat> I've got a dribble here. I've got a pull-up. I'm just going to go ahead and take it. You know, those aren't bad shots for like Dixon, for instance, but I do think we could have gotten better shots here. And slowly but surely, Illinois climbs back in the game. Missouri leads by as many as 14 at one point, and it really felt like they were going to blow the, the Illini off the court. But eventually, Illinois crawls all the way back and even takes the lead with about six minutes to go. And while Moore definitely 
I don't know if he got tired in the second half. He wasn't quite as effective as he was in the first half, but regardless, defensively, they were still better with more out there because Ricardo Ratliff was definitely being targeted in pick and rolls by the Illini. And Missouri tried plenty of coverages, too. They definitely switched up their defense. They'd have Ricardo doubled. He soft-hedged. He hard-hedged. He dropped back completely and just stayed with Leonard. Not much of it ever really worked. And, you know, even when Moore would come in, Illinois was still sticking with those 1-5 pick-and-rolls trying to get the center involved in the action. Now, Missouri was leading the game 66-64 with under four minutes left. And Dixon pulls up with a completely unnecessary heat check three-pointer on a fast break that had both Bobby Knight and I incredulous. It really did. But frankly, from there, Missouri was just about perfect offensively down the stretch. At one point, the ball is sort of wildly thrown back to half court. Flip gathers it with six seconds down one, drives right, then goes behind the back to Ricardo Ratliff for the finish, which had me shrieking in delight, quite honestly. Just outstanding stuff by Pressy and just tremendous hands by Ricardo Ratliff, too. Just showing why the, the, not only the, the soft hands that he had, but also the chemistry that he had with Flip Pressy, too. Those guys were really good together. But Matt Pressy would commit the cardinal sin late of fouling an Illinois three-point shooter. The guy makes all three, giving Illinois a two-point lead, but really it was all Missouri from there. Another great gather in traffic, another great hands play by Ratliff, ties the game at 70. Then English gets a, Missouri gets a turnover. Kim English out on a fast break, gets an and one. A follow by Ricardo Ratliff. Another and one for him after a Denman miss. Really, frankly, another great hands play by Ratliff. I mean, he was not a leaper. He wasn't a tremendous side-to-side defender. He wasn't the biggest center in the world. But, man, his hands and just his ability to get the ball up quickly and finish around the basket was really, really freaking good. You can't take that away from him whatsoever. And finally, after Myers Leonard tips the ball in for the Illini to cut the Missouri lead to three with 45 seconds left, Missouri, with its plethora of guards, easily breaks the press. Pressy, Phil Pressy, that is, patiently winds down the clock. Missouri takes the lead 77 72. And really, just another great end of the half run down the clock execution by the Tigers. They were really good at that stuff. And, you know, this was a close game, a lot closer than it should have been down the stretch. But Missouri's execution here in these close games, as it would be for much of this season, was just better than Illinois. And that was the difference in the game. Also, as I pointed out early, Illinois clearly the bigger team. But despite that fact, Missouri doubled, more than doubled, their free throw output going 19 of 23 of 23 from the charity stripe in this ball game so you know you know just a tremendous team a really fun basketball game despite maybe a 10 minute stretch of kind of bad basketball offensively some bad decision making that left illinois that let illinois get back in the ball game but overall a really fun one to revisit 
again, just two great plays by the Pressy brothers, respectively, that really that I remember well after all these years now. And definitely something I'd encourage you to check out on YouTube for yourself. And we're going to have more flashbacks to this great 2012 season coming up for you in the coming weeks. And the guys over at Locked On NFL will certainly have plenty of content for you as well. So, until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.